So we are beginning a series this week called Let There Be Light. And what it is what it is doing is journeying together in responding to life's tough questions. So what we want to do is we want to take some of the toughest questions that people ask about Christianity and about life, and we want to look them in the eye and we, we want to say Jesus has an answer. We're not afraid of the, of the difficulties around us because God makes a difference. God has already gone before us to set the record straight, to open up the path, to make a way for us. We need not be afraid of difficulties and, and hardships around us. The Bible says that he, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, as one of our intercessors declared over the service this morning. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. What does that mean? It means in the worst times, you will feast. It means in the worst times, you will be taken care of. It means in the worst times, you will celebrate. And I want you to feel this in your heart, that we need not be afraid of things around us because we are found in God. If there is no food, he will take the stones and make them bread. If there is no finances, he'll send you fishing and there'll be coins in the fish's mouth. There's, God will make a way. There are no impossible situations. And so when we tackle this series, what we are really wanting to do, we are wanting you to see that, that the hardest questions that you are ever asked about your faith, God has an answer for them and God will lead you through them. So the first one that we are going to be looking at today is who is God? Father, I pray that as we tackle this, Lord God, that you would, you would answer questions in our hearts, Lord God. You would set us free to know the real God. That places where we have misconceptions about who you are, Lord God, would you set us free from those? Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. So you know what I am very, very convinced of? is that who you believe God to be will determine everything about you. So if you believe that God is a distant God, you will live out your life never asking him for anything. If you believe that God is an angry God, every time you mess up, you will run as fast as you can away from God. If you believe that God is um, just a physical force with no personality, you will never endeavor to communicate with him at all. I, I have met many people in my life, as we all have, but I have met a few people who have been adamant that there is no God. Have you met any of those? Usually when I question them and we have conversations, I usually find out this, that once upon a time they did believe in God, but the God that they, the way that God was explained to them was that he was either a legalistic God or he was like a God of no fun or he was a God who just demanded things from you or he was, he was a punishing God that was just waiting for you to step out of line and and their view of God was such that they, it's not that they don't believe that there's God, they just don't want that God. When I get right down to the bottom of it, it's their view of God that informs that. And I have to be honest, if I believed God were like that, maybe I wouldn't want him either. 
But the Bible paints a completely different picture. One of the reasons Jesus came was because he could, God could see over the world that people's idea of him was completely erroneous. And Jesus stepped down into our world to show us God. I mean, also to set us free from sin and pain and brokenness. But nonetheless, Jesus stepped down on earth in addition to all of that to show us who God really is. I don't think anyone can read the stories of Jesus and say, I don't want that God. Because when you read the stories of Jesus, he is so enigmatic. He's so relational. He's so present. He's so solutions oriented. He's so truthful and yet loving. Everywhere you go with Jesus, something great happens. And there's not a person in the world, if they could see God like that, who wouldn't want him. And so part of what I'm hoping to share with you today is that you would see Jesus as he really is. You would see God through the representation of Jesus on earth. And in so doing, you would be able to speak to your friends, to your colleagues, to your family and say, that idea you have of God is so different from the God I know. And I want to tell you about the God I know. So we are going to be reading a portion of scripture out of Luke 18. This portion of scripture, in this particular rendition of it, doesn't name the beggar. It doesn't name the, bl the blind man who gets healed. But in other gospels, it calls him Bartimaeus. Can you all say Bartimaeus? Now can you say blind beggar Bartimaeus? <laughs> blind beggar Bartimaeus. <laughs> now can we all say blind beggar Bartimaeus becomes better? <laughs> Where is Andrew? I'm, I've got to be his hero right now. I've got to be. I only did this so that Andrew would love me. Those of you who are new in the church, I, I need to explain to you that my husband is alliteration king. Anytime he does anything, all the words start with the same letter. So blind beggar Bartimaeus becomes better is just so that my husband will take me on a really great date tonight. <laughs> and also so that you won't ever, ever forget the story. But if we start reading it from verse 35, it says this, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. I bet. I bet. It's likely that that man had been begging in that place for years. And to see one of your cultural icons, really, one of your cultural institutions just changed like that must have been something spectacular for those people. I want to start by highlighting this to you. 
if you can picture yourself as that beggar sitting beside the road, you hear this commotion come by, but you've no idea what it is. And then you ask, and they say, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth passing. I mean, what, what would you call out if you heard that? You would call out, most likely, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. But he doesn't. Do you notice that? He doesn't call out what they say. He calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, to all, to, in order to understand what was really going on here, you're going to have to bear with me if I get, as I give you a little bit of history. The Jewish people, through centuries, had been persecuted and enslaved and occupied by other nations, taken, taken into captivity, sent back. And throughout all these centuries, they had cried out to God for deliverance. God had promised them from the beginning of their scriptures, God had promised them that there would come a time when he would establish his rule and reign on earth through the nation of Israel, and he would do it through a king who would be the son of David. When he cried out, son of David, he was making a declaration that is so potent. Because, you know, Jesus of Nazareth was a carpenter from a small town in rural Israel. That, that kind carpenter was not going to be able to deliver him. And he, he wasn't looking to a sweet, kind mentor. He wasn't looking to like, like someone who would hold his hand and walk, walk him through the difficulties. He was looking for a savior. He was saying, I want God himself to step into my world. I want victory. I am looking for a man who is above all, who is king, who will lead us, who will make a difference, who is strong, who knows what he's called for. I'm looking for the son of David. I'm looking for the, the redemption that has been promised from the beginning of time. I'm looking for the Messiah. What I love about this is that th there can be some level of confusion in society about who Jesus is. I've heard him called a good man. I even know people who read his sayings as good sayings, like, like good, good ways of living. Jesus was certainly a good man, but that's not who Jesus is. I want you to understand this. That the reason Bartimaeus could access this radical miracle was because he knew that Jesus wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth. He knew that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was the promised one. Do you know the New Testament calls, calls Jesus Savior 24 times? Great stuff. He is Savior. But the New Testament calls Jesus Lord 747 times. You know a Boeing 747? That's how I remember it. It's big. <laughs> Praise God, it doesn't fall out of the sky over Ethiopia. You know, it just, it, it does its thing. 
The Bible calls Jesus in the New Testament Lord 744 seven times. The overwhelming emphasis of the Bible is that Jesus is Lord. He's king of all. He's the righteous one. Listen, church, we don't need a good man with good sayings. Every religion has that. This country, your life, your family needs a God who is above all. He needs a God that speaks worlds into existence with these words. You, we need a God who, who carries the, the, the wisdom of all of creation in his hands, that can, can look into every situation and see truth, can, can bring truth, can deliver, can heal, can make a difference. We need Jesus Christ as Lord of all. When Jesus say, says to creation, stop, it stops. When he says start, it starts. When he says stand, it stands. When he says sit, it sits. We need Jesus, Lord of all. And it's when Bartimaeus put Jesus in that place of Lord of all, things began to change. Now, here's the thing that absolutely thrills me. Is that when, well, this part doesn't throw me, the second part throws me. The first part is that when he was crying out to Jesus to have mercy on him, it says that the crowds tried to hush him up. Tell me if this isn't your experience. That, and when you get radical for Jesus, there are people around you telling you, oh, calm down, please calm down. Don't, don't be so radical. I mean, have you ever experienced that? If you haven't experienced it, you haven't been radical enough. <laughs> Try it out. But really, you know, there was this, this, there's this force of society that's telling you to calm down. Just, just take, can we, can we just have Jesus as a carpenter, as a nice man with nice sayings? There's, there's a force of this world that's trying to silence the passion that is in your heart. But the second part I love, the second part I love, is that Jesus would have none of that. He stopped and he, he commanded that they bring that man to him. It's like, be quiet, enough, I will have nothing of this. I want to meet that man. Any man who would call out to me like that, I will see. And the first thing I, I notice about this God is that he's a God who goes after the one. He's a God who goes after the one. You know why I love this? Because, because when I look at the world, everyone's got problems. Have you noticed that? And you know, and you know when, when I come and I, sometimes you know, I'm meeting with people and I want to, you know, I've had a bad day. And they ask me, how are you doing? And I think, maybe this is the person I could confide in. And I tell them, and they go, you know, they get this look on your face, and you say, almost say, oh, that's nothing. You must see what's happening in my life. And then they, they put on the table all these things. And, I, you know, I sit back and think, you're right. <laughs> you're right. But, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that then, I, then I'm tempted to feel like, why would God even worry about me? There's so much going on that, that would keep his attention. But when I see this, it so thrills me because I see a God who has capacity to go after you as if you were the only one. 
to go after you like no other, to give you his full attention, to say that that problem that you are facing, you have me. And I just, I just love that about God, is that there is nothing too small and there is nothing too big. You know, I, I have this very exuberant sister. She's absolutely lovely. I mean, when she walks into the room, the room stops in awe. I mean, she's beautiful, she's funny, she's vibrant, she's magnificent. And growing up as a teenager with a sister like that, you know what? It's tough. It's tough. Because when we walked into a room, no one saw me. And even if I was in there first, and I kind of gathered a little bit of attention, the minute my sister walked in, that was it, baby. I was, I was in the background. When I discovered that there is a God who sees me, do you know what it did? It set me free. I mean, of course he sees my sister too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, and I love my sister and she's fantastic and you'll meet her one day and you'll think so too. Just make sure you notice me too. <laughs> but, but you know, when I discovered a God who sees me, who goes after me, I'm so thrilled. You see a picture up there and it's of a, a ship in a storm and certainly that's not the kind of ship that, that Jesus would have ridden in. But there's this story in Matthew 8 and Luke 8 and Mark 4, about how Jesus braved a storm in a boat. And this marvelous storm, you know, it's, it's the story where he stills the storm. But the Bible talks about that storm. When, when, it, when it names that storm, you can't tell by reading the English, but when you look at the original language, it uses the word seismos, which means an earthquake. In other words, it was a storm like no other. It's like you couldn't tell where the sky ended and the, the water started. It was just this earthquake experience that they were all in. If I were on a mission for God, I don't know what I would do if I faced a storm like that. I might just say, oops, wrong date, heading home. Try again tomorrow. Of course, Jesus was asleep in the boat and they woke him up. But, but the point was, for me, is that he was prepared to brave such a storm. He was pre prepared to head into this cross the lake. Do you know what he found on the other side? Do you know the whole reason he went over there? Was one crazy man. Not even a nice man. I mean, it was a man who was cutting himself, breaking chains, living in tombs. It was the kind of guy you avoid. Jesus got in a boat and come storm, come anything, he was heading over that lake for that one man. This is the God we serve. He sees you and he's coming for you. Luke 15 is a very famous portion of the Bible, and it tells three stories. Jesus tells three parables. And in those parables, the point of all three of them is that God goes off after the one. And the first, there's a shepherd 
who has 100 sheep. One goes missing. He leaves the 99 in order to go to the one. The second one, there's a woman who has a whole lot of coins, which is probably her dowry and her expression of wealth. She loses one. She searches until she finds that one. And the last one is about the prodigal son, where you know the story where this one son sells or gets his inheritance, goes out and squanders it, and then comes back to the father. And we see the picture of this father seeing the son coming from a long way off, and he goes running to the son. After every one of these three stories, it talks about rejoicing. After the coin one, it talks about rejoice with me, I have found what was lost. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. I feel like this tells the story of our God, that he is passionate about the one. What is going on in your life means something to him. He, when, when you see victory or resolution in an area of your life, there is celebration in heaven. There is celebration in heaven. God is invested in you. This is a God I want to serve. I want to give my life for. Now, I'm, when I read this story, I, I try to read it like I was really there. And I want you to ask yourself this question. If you were in that crowd and Jesus got a blind beggar to come and stand before him, I want to ask you, if this beggar had been crying out for Jesus to have mercy on him, would you have had any doubt in your mind what that beggar was asking for? Would you? There's a blind man in front of Jesus who heals people. Is there, would there be any doubt in your mind as to what that beggar was asking for? Jesus, who clearly is not stupid, looks at him and asks, asks, him, asks him this question, what do you want? I mean, I would be like, duh, Jesus, he's blind. I mean, what do you want? What do you want? Why? Why? I mean, Jesus read people's minds all the time. All the time it talks about how he knew what they were thinking. I mean, there is no way that he didn't know that this man wanted to be healed. And he asked him, what do you want? What do you want? For me, this is fabulous because it illustrates something so glorious about God. Do you know that God is so committed to your freedom that he will not even give you something, something unless you ask? Do you know that God's kingdom is filled with the ultimate freedom? That God is not a controlling God. God has no desire whatsoever to control you. In fact, he has the absolute opposite in mind. He wants to set you free in every way. And this is so wild because the majority of people have an idea of God as a controlling God. Control is a product of fear. We only control things that we fear. God has no fear. He has no reason to control you or your environment. God is a God of freedom. 
How does he accomplish this? Because, because when we look at the Old Testament, it's full of rules and regulations. Full of rules and regulations. But then we get to the New Testament, and there are no rules and regulations. Have you noticed it? Go read the New Testament. It's not full of rules and regulations. It's full of one thing only, relationship with God. And God says this, if you will come into relationship with me, I will change you on the inside so that your desire will be for good and righteousness and I will be able to remove every external rule and you will be able to be fully free. He is absolutely, absolutely committed to your freedom. there's There's a scripture in Galatians that will come up right now. There's a scripture in Galatians that says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I mean, that's just like such a, when every time I read it, I just have to take a double take. Because in essence, what Paul is saying when he wrote this is that God doesn't set you free so that you can glorify him. God's not setting you free so that he can look good. God sets you free because he wants you free. God wants you free because he likes freedom. He's a God of freedom. He's a God of possibilities. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of glory. He's a God of of open doors. He's a God of increase. And I know some of your minds are going tilt because your Christianity has has consisted of rules after rules after rules after rules. The only time you need rules is when you're not free on the inside. And as soon as God sets you free from the, the pain, the brokenness, the wrong ideas on the inside, he can remove all rules and you can be free. The story goes on. And it doesn't actually say it in this rendition, but if you looked at the Matthew version, when Jesus healed this blind beggar, it says he was filled with compassion and he touched him and he was healed. Jesus did so much out of compassion. The Bible is filled with it. It talks about how he fed the 5,000. You know when he fed with the, f- the loaves and the fishes? It says he had compassion on them because they'd been with him so long. And then he started the process that would get them fed. It says that there were times when he would look at the crowd and he would see they were, they were aimless and without a, a leader, without a shepherd, and he, therefore he would teach them. It says that he, he looked on them with compassion and he healed their sick. It was like Jesus was motivated by compassion so much. I don't know what the word compassion means for you, but certainly for me over the years, it has meant to feel sorry for. So when I thought of having compassion, I thought it meant I was supposed to be sorry for that person. But here's the wild thing. God doesn't feel sorry for you. I know you're hoping he will feel sorry for you and do something, but he doesn't feel sorry for you. 
really, he doesn't. When he looks at you, he doesn't see a broken person. He sees what he made you to be. He sees glory. He sees majesty. He sees a person that when inhabited with God can do exploits beyond their wildest imagination. When he looks at you, he says, oh my word, look. Look at that person. Look at those things that are going to be made through those hands. Look at the people that are going to be loved through that person. When he looks at you, he sees what could be with his glory. Jesus does not feel sorry for you. Compassion does not mean to feel sorry for something. Literally, the word compassion, com means with and passion means suffering, believe it or not. Compassion, the word compassion means to suffer with. I want to tell a story. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you have a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew, even a friend, who turned around to you and said, I don't like the way you're leading me. I don't like the way you're looking after me. I think I can do better on my own. I don't like the restrictions I feel from you. I don't like, I don't like the food you give me. I don't like the requirements that this family has. I'm heading out on my own. And this youngster heads out on his own, gets involved in rebellious street gangs, and you as the parent or the aunt or the uncle, you head out and you, you're pleading with them, come home, come home, come home. And they are just throwing it back in your face. No, I don't like the way you do things. I don't like who you are. And the longer they're out on the street, the worse things get. The worse their clothes get, the poorer they get, the less food they have, the more they're using drugs, the... the the more they sleeping out in the open. And you would think to yourself, the only way I can get to them, the only way they can know who I really am, is if I step out of my house, my comfortable world, I put on the, the garb of a street person, and I go and sit with them in the gutter. And I sit next to them. And when they're hungry, I'm hungry. And when they're alone, I'm alone. And as they are sitting there and I'm walking with them and I'm, I'm building their trust and I'm saying, I'm here, I'm with you. I know what you feel. My hope would be at some time they would turn to the side, see me there and say, oh my word, you were so unwilling to let me be alone. Yes. I see who you really are. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. And this is the God we serve. That Jesus would step down out of the glory of eternity into this temporal world with all its pain and suffering. He felt hunger. He felt temptation. He felt it all because he was walking next to you and me and saying, I feel it. I know it. I know what you're facing. I know where you're going. I know what this feels like. Come home. Come home. And I feel like if we could see this kind of God who's full, I, 
I, I lab labeled it powerful um, compassion because it's not just it's not just compassion that that feels bad. It's compassion that can do something. That's what I love about it. God is not just, you know, it's not just that he, he sits in the gutter with you. It's that he, he says, I can take you out of this gutter. It's not just that he holds your hand through the pain of loss that you've been going through. He's saying, I can make a difference in this. It's not just that he... he walks with you through those tough financial times. He's like, listen to me and we'll, we'll do it differently. Listen to me and we'll make a difference. Different, listen to me and we'll, we'll walk a different way. It's a powerful compassion. It's a, it's a compassion that comes from a God that can make a difference. So in conclusion, oh no, not in conclusion. There's those three things that Jesus did out of compassion, <laughs> just in case you want those references. Jesus healed in response to compassion, Matthew 14. Jesus taught the crowds in response to compassion, Mark 6. And Jesus fed the multitudes in response to compassion, Matthew 15. And now, in compassion, in compassion, in compassionate conclusion, God has come after you to set you free and restore you through his powerful compassion. There is a God on the throne who goes after the one. There is a God on the throne who feels what you feel and yet is unwilling to leave you there. There is a God on the throne who has the ability to set you free. Amen.